in Europe, for example, you have to move more than 1,000 kilometers. It doesn't matter where you are in Europe, just to be able to get a complete dark sky. This is Not What You Think. I'm Sasha Rosen. In Cairo, in Bonn, in Germany, in London, there's this thing you can't see anymore. A little thing in the sky. The entire Milky Way. More and more people in the world don't get to see it. The light in cities after dark is one of the things that interferes with that. Angel Lopez Sanchez is an astronomer with the Australian Astronomical Observatory and Macquarie University and writes the astronomy blog El Lobo Riado, The Striped Wolf. Angel, thanks for coming in. It is my pleasure. When other people look at clouds and they see patterns, they see shapes in clouds, you see that with stars. When you start to be trained a bit, you start to be able to distinguish the colors in some of the stars. So you start to identify, well, that is a red star and that is a blue star. They have to be relatively bright to realize the colors, but you can see them if you pay attention. The same way with the nebula and the star cluster, you start to see details that you will not be able to see before because we need the darkness just to see all those details. You're originally from Spain, but you've been living in Australia the last 10 years or so. Why did you come all the way to the Southern Hemisphere just to see the Milky Way? Well, because it is the way to really see the Milky Way, or particularly the center of the Milky Way. Because from the Southern Hemisphere, and only from the Southern Hemisphere, the center of the Milky Way, it is very close to the zenith. And then you can see our galaxy as it should be. What does it look like? I imagine most people listening have looked up and seen a few stars. What's the difference between the stars you see, say, in Sydney and the Milky Way? You have to go to a very dark place just to be able to see all the details in the Milky Way. I can tell you, that the very first time that I saw the Milky Way in the southern sky, with the center of the Milky Way almost in the zenith, I cried. I was driving from Orange to Parks. I spent the last the few days before that in the Blue Mountains, and it was raining. And finally that night, because I was actually driving at night, I noticed that it was clear. So I stopped the car. And I went out of the car switch off the lights of the car and look up. And believe me, I really cried in that moment. The best vision I have ever had is when I'm in a very dark place, usually in, here in Australia, and look up and see the Milky Way. That is the best vision my eyes have ever had. It is just a complete show of nature. And it is amazing. And it makes... It makes me think a lot about life and culture, science. I think it made me the way I am, just looking to the stars. From the south of Spain, we can see part of the Milky Way, and we can see the center of the Milky Way, but it is not as nice as here. But all those nights when I was young, watching the stars and looking at the stars and trying to understand them really made me the way I am. It is just a collection of billions of stars, and we are not able to resolve the stars individually. And that is why it seems just a kind of nebula crossing all the sky, a diffuse thing. It was not until we used the telescope and Galileo used the telescope for the first time when we realized that there were individual stars in the Milky Way. It is just diffuse stuff, kind of white, this gray component, coming from one part of the sky crossing to the zenith and going back to the other part of the sky. But it is not homogeneous. There are some kind of black patches, which are actually black clouds of dust in our Milky Way. 
And there are some very bright stars, for example, the Southern Cross or the pointers Alpha and Beta Centauri are located in the middle, in the line of the Milky Way. If you are in a very dark sky, the background of the sky it is not black, it is grey, because of all these stars in our Milky Way. And it is very interesting, for example, that Aboriginal Australians actually used the Milky Way as constellations. The emu in the sky was one of the main constellations that they had. Black constellations, because the emu in the sky, it is made of black patches in the Milky Way, this cloud of dust in the Milky Way. Starting from the Southern Cross, that just there it is the Cossack, that is the head of the emu, and then going down through Centaurus and Scorpio and Sagittarius where the body is. And it is really an amazing view. What is it that we're actually looking at? What is the Milky Way? Well, the Milky Way is our galaxy, a collection of 100 billion stars, plenty of gas and dust, and perhaps even incredibly high number of planets that we are starting to discover now around other stars. And it has a size of around 110,000 light years. That means that just the light that is the faster thing in the universe needs 110,000 years to be able to travel across all the Milky Way. The galaxy of the Milky Way, our galaxy, it is a spiral galaxy, which means that in the center you have the supermassive black hole, as in all the galaxies, that we cannot see, but we see stars moving around. And when we just study the movement of those stars around a patch of black sky, the only way we can explain the movement of the stars it is just identify this object, the black hole. And then you have a kind of a bulge. So it is just a spheroidal system composed mainly for all stars. And from there, a spiral disk, usually with arms of stars and gas. So in the arms, it is where the majority of the star formation is happening in that particular moment. But these are only the spiral galaxies. That's the Milky Way of the Andromeda galaxy. In the old times, we thought that the Earth was the center of the universe, the geocentrical model. It was what we thought till 16th century, when Copernico rediscovered, because some Greeks actually knew, Aristarchus de Samos, for example, knew that the Sun was the center of the solar system, and the center of the universe, because it was the way it was considered. So we have the heliocentric point of view. The Sun is the center of the universe. Then we discovered there is something bigger, which is the Milky Way. And the Sun is just another star that needs 220 to 150 million years to give a run around all the Milky Way. And then we thought that that was it. But not. There are plenty of other galaxies. And we are not in the center of the universe. There is not center in the universe. And it is deeper than that. Because what we thought that the universe is made of, you know, atoms, it is only 5% of all the universe. So we are continuously chasing and trying to get a better understanding of the universe. Does it feel scary to have your whole understanding of the universe overthrown by the next data set? I would love that that happen. I would really love that that happen. And many of us, many scientists, and particularly physicists and astronomers, have the feeling that perhaps soon we are going to have another shift of paradigm. We don't know what it is, but there are things that are not completely right, or we do not understand them yet. And I'm mainly talking about dark energy, about dark matter, and about all these particles that we are starting to detect, and some of them might even not be possible considering the models of the quantum mechanics that we have now. 
perhaps someone is able to put together, and there it is. It sounds like as we look more at the stars, we look more at things like the Milky Way and the galaxies outside it, we're not just stretching the limits of the data that we have, but we're stretching the limits of our imagination to understand what it means. Definitely. We need that imagination. We continually growing in our understanding the laws of the cosmos. So that's the Milky Way in the outback. That's the Milky Way as seen by the naked eye. But we're having a lot of trouble seeing the Milky Way. Why is that a problem? Why can't we just see it when we look up in the sky in a city? Well, because cities have the problem of the light pollution. And it is an increasing problem because right now, 83% of all the people in the world are living under very polluted skies and they are not able to see the Milky Way. We are missing the Milky Way. The Atlas of Light Pollution. The Dark Sky map was released in early June, just taking into account a lot of measurements made with satellites, but also by people. Both scientists and citizen scientists measuring the quality of the light in very different parts of the world. And it is alarming because it is increasing evidence of how we are losing the stars and how much energy is wasted in the light that is illuminating our skies. How does light in the sky stop us from seeing the stars? Light pollution it is just inappropriate or excessive use of artificial light. We need the dark or the background just to be able to identify very faint stars and very faint galaxies. The sky is actually glowing. You have to go far away in order that you have the darkness. And then when you're in the dark, the pupil in your eye will be able to open completely if you're in the dark for 20 minutes, half an hour. And then you will be able to see fainter things, fainter stars, fainter details. And that is something similar when you are dark in a room. The beginning, you cannot see a thing. But when you wait a bit, then you will start to see shapes in grey colour. And that is because the pupil in your eye is starting to open and capture a bit more light. Like when you enter a dark room, after a while you can see what's around you. Exactly. So imagine that in a city like Sydney, there is a lot of light coming from all the surroundings. And if you look at the sky, you still can see the Southern Cross, but impossible to see the Milky Way. Because all the background of the sky is just illuminated by this glowing of the artificial light. So we can see a few of the brightest stars, but we can't really see the whole road of the Milky Way. Yes, and that is something that is very sad, because our kids right now around the world, they're starting to think that the sky is yellow. And there are only few things that you can see there. The sun, the moon, some few planets, and few brighter stars. What are some changes that we can make to cities to be able to avoid the light pollution that we have these days and avoid having the Milky Way or the Southern Cross disappear entirely? People have to be the conscience that this is a problem. It is a real problem. And they have to be aware of that and understand that as another kind of pollution, that many kind of pollution that we humans do. The other thing it is just to research in techniques and ways of illuminating without getting the light going to the sky and getting the light in a proper way that is useful for people in the streets. So we have to take conscience of all of that and be wise illuminating. How many parts of the world are there you can go to that are truly dark? 
It depends the way you consider the world. So there are still plenty of places, but they are in the middle of nowhere. In Europe, for example, you have to move more than 1,000 kilometers. It doesn't matter where you are in Europe, just to be able to get a complete dark sky. So you basically have to leave Europe if you want to see a dark sky. Yes, in Europe you have to. In Spain, for example, even though by person it is the most light-polluted country, we have some areas with a lot of vegetation and mountains. It's still dark there and you can go there. And something similar happens in Australia. In Australia, 88% of the territory is dark. It's completely dark. And I will say that the 96% of the territory it is good enough, let's say. Only 1.1% of the territory, of Australian territory, is very contaminated by the light pollution. So we're doing pretty well by world standards. Yes, but no. Because that is by territory. We are still doing it well. But if you count by people, 88% of people in Australia that live in the major capital cities and in the coast, 88% of people in Australia live under high or very high light polluted sky. What is it that they're missing? Well, they're missing a lot. Not that they're missing only the Milky Way and the beautiful dark sky and the stars. They're wasting a lot of money in illuminating the sky. The estimation that was made in 2009 in Australia is that the public lighting in Australia is 30-50% of the government greenhouse emission. That was estimated in 2009, as I said, and costs around 210 million Australian dollars. When we are doing both amateur astronomy or professional astronomy, we're trying to use very dim red lights that are the ones that are not affecting that much our eye. And the example I like to use for this is a very recent application that the iPads have in order that you have the night mode. That means that you are taking out the blue light, just dimming to yellow, reddish colors your iPad, your screen, in order that your brain is able to interpret that as a relaxing thing and it helps you to go to sleep. And you need something similar in streetlights if you want to try to get around light pollution. Yes, not definitely have to be more red. A bit red, it is better because of all the psychological thing that we have in mind. But it is not that there are many streetlights. It is just that they are not properly installed. The light is not going down. It's going up. It's going to the sky. We definitely need that the light is going down and not upwards. As we switch over from the old, less efficient lights to new, more efficient LED lights, we're actually getting bluer lights as well, aren't we? That is the other problem, because blue light is affecting much more wildlife and us. This field is still evolving, and it has changed a lot in just five years. Just five years ago, it was not easy to prepare our LED without a strong component in the blue light. And yes, of course, the energy that they are producing is much cheaper. But they are not more efficient. Right now, there are LEDs that are emitting mainly in yellow-red lights. And those should be the illumination that we should try to use. What do you think we'll get back if we manage to eliminate most of the light pollution around cities? I would like to think that eventually we will recover, if not the Milky Way, at least the majority of the constellations in the sky. And just to be able to go not too far, 
from the place you live to be able to see the Milky Way. Of course, what I would really like is that we can recover the Milky Way from everywhere in the world. Do you think we'll ever have the chance in the middle of Sydney to walk out our front door and look up and see the Milky Way? Not in the very city centre, but definitely in many of the, the suburbs around. I remember a particular New Year's that I was there to enjoy the New Year's, and I was surprised that I could see the centre of Sydney with the Harbour Bridge and Opera House. I could see the Orion Nebula in Orion with my naked eye there. And that is something that it is impossible to see with the naked eye in the city I'm from, Cordoba in the south of Spain with only 300,000 people. So it is not as bad as it is in Europe. It is increasing, so we have to be aware. We may lose the Southern Cross as it is because we are losing the fainter star in just 20 years if we continue this way. But there is still hope. Angel, thanks very much for coming in today. Thank you. You can learn more about light pollution at darksky.org, and we'll also put up a link to Angel's blog, The Lion Wolf, and we'll link to a post he did about light pollution there. Since we first recorded this show, the first dark sky park in Australia has been announced. We'll put that in our show page and in the podcast notes for this episode. If you like this episode and you want to hear more, we've got lots more. Go to fbiradio.com slash notwhatyouthink to hear all of this season's episodes and three seasons worth of archived episodes. You can also subscribe to our podcast there. Is there something you think we should be making a show about? There's a link on that page as well for you to tell us all about it. If you like us, you'll probably like a bunch of other great FBI podcasts. Choose some at fbiradio.com slash podcasts. Note What You Think is produced by Olivia Perry Griffiths and Lachlan Wiley. Show art by Annie Hamilton. Linda DeLacy is production consultant and executive production is by Samira. It was created by Laura Briley, Claire Holland, and me. I'm Zasha Rosen. Next week, Midwives vs. Doctors.